as somebody who's running for the first time, I have to learn how to ask for money and I have to learn how to ask for votes. And that's something that's really tough to do for me. I don't think anybody likes asking for money, but I hope that the people of District 13 and the people that are out there um, who want to donate and make a change in Texas can uh, come out and I mean, can donate through uh, Act Blue or, or any of my channels and my Facebook page. But I want to ask for people's support. I hope that they vote for me come November. And even in the primary that's going to be happening in July, I do need some votes for that. But ultimately, to try and battle a money machine that is the Republican Party in this area, I'm going to need so many donations so that I can actually be on a level playing field. Darwin. You're going to say, oh, wow, Darwin's trolling me because Darwin, free speech deserves to be defended. Do you not believe in the idea of GDP and aggregate demand? You are 100% wrong here. I know you don't like I'm it. Telling you, I'm telling you to start thinking about reality and not what you want to be true. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to Lofty Darwinism. We're here with a, uh, a special guest, uh, Gus Trujillo. He is a friend from college uh, and, and, and beyond and, and is now running for Congress to represent me and the rest of District 13 uh, here in the great West Texas, you know, Panhandle, whatever we want to regionally call ourselves, um, but District 13 here. So I'm going to let Gus introduce himself and then uh, let Darwin ask some questions. And I'm not sure that was the world's greatest <laughs> intro, but... Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> hey, that was good. Well, yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Gus Trujillo. I am uh, born and raised right here in Amarillo, Texas. And uh, District 13 is a huge district up here. And uh, a lot of say it, a lot of people say it's pretty red, but I think that there are actually more Democrats up here than uh, what people may think. And uh, I am running for Congress, and it's interesting because I was actually an intern in uh, 2013 for the my old. My old boss is the one who's retiring, and uh, I am running for his seat now. So now that he's retiring, I want to take a shot at this and really try and make a difference for our area. And uh, I'm uh, 33 years old. I know a lot of people think I'm like in my 20s and I'm not allowed to run or something, but um, I am uh, still a little bit young. But I want to make a difference for our community so it's good for everybody, for middle class and uh, everybody. I'm about to stop. Okay, Darwin, 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 you're going to take him here. But, like, I, I thank you for sounding like the politician. I polished you <laughs> off you right there because you're damn qualified. Now, Darwin, make him be the more human guy we all know he is underneath. After that, that perfect intro, <laughs> well, I, I've, like, I've trained him well. He gave that speech so well. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. But first, can I ask uh, just the both of you, because I live in Los Angeles now. These are a little more peripheral issues for me. Where, where does District... 13 uh, uh, represent? Uh, so it, the two major cities it represents is Amarillo and Wichita Falls. And then uh, so the way I tell people is if you were to go um, from the Panhandle down south right before or right in the middle of Plainview and then you go east to Wichita Falls and then there's some small towns around there. Uh, the line is it's pretty it's a huge district. I think it's uh, 44 counties. Um, but it's a uh, uh, very much rural. Uh, there's two cities, but it's a majority rural people. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Gus, I guess the first question is, um, what does it what does it mean to be a Democrat to you? I would say the first thing I think about is that Democrats have always been fighters for 
people first, before companies, before special interests. And I have been a lifelong Democrat. Uh, I mean, the first presidential election I voted in was with uh, John Kerry against George W. Bush. And so that's when I could register to vote. And I started uh, register, start voting right away and being uh, involved in the primaries right away because I just was really uh, first inspired as a, a child uh, with Bill Clinton, who really you know, we had a great economy at that time and we were booming and we were actually in a surplus for the first time ever. And um, it was just a really good time. And I thought, you know, I want to be a Democrat. And I, you know, especially now, I would say that the Republican Party was one that I I didn't really consider joining ever. Um, but there was a time where I thought, well, hey, maybe um, there's some things I agree with in the Republican Party. There's some things I don't. But now it's it's become like the party of Trump, and I cannot identify with something like that. It, it seems like it's more of Trumpism than Republican policies, and I think there's many Republicans who feel that way too. So um, for – I guess the, the main point is uh, I, I feel like I'm a Democrat because I want to be somebody who wants to fight and work for people first and not any special interests, not any companies. Uh, and uh, that's really at the heart of what I believe. So, so you're you're running to represent a very interesting, you know, obviously conservative area, the land of mega churches and you know cattle. Uh, what do you think? What do you think the needs of people in Amarillo and 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 Wichita Falls? Obviously, I know Amarillo better. Um, like, what do you think the the needs of that area specifically is in a way that, you know, like, 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 how do you define yourself as like, you're, tr you're running to represent this. Do you feel like you're going to represent the people who are like Trump supporters too? You know, like, like, how, how do you, how do you frame running in a district like that? Yes. Uh, you know, when I was running with this uh, I I was told constantly that this is a very red area and, you know, chances of a Democrat winning are slim and all this other stuff. But when I really started to kick off my campaign and start to express what I believe in, people that were even Republicans were starting to listen because I consider, you know, I am a Democrat full on. Uh, but in Texas, I think that our Democrats here are a little bit more conservative. Uh, so they're not like the typical Democrats in New York or California. And uh, but we are still considered part of the Democratic Party. And I just believe in a lot more Democratic policies that I think will benefit everyone in our district. I know that, you know, right now there's a lot of people that are Trump supporters, very conservative here in Amarillo. But a lot of those people feel like Washington is just a wash in, you know, in political insiders and corruption. And, you know, they're suffering, especially rural America is suffering. And we're starting to even see that with the coronavirus, where it's spreading even more. And I think that as somebody who is a Democrat trying to run in a very red area, people hopefully will try to open up their minds to listen to somebody who is uh, running of the opposite party because we have a lot to offer to people in general and ways to improve their lives. And here in our district, I think that uh, there's a couple of major uh, uh, topics that uh, are major issues that we have to work for. And I mean, one of the major ones too is, is water. I mean, we're Emerald and Wichita Falls, we have limited amounts of water. I know Wichita Falls has run out of water before, and then we uh, are running out of water in uh, about another 50 or 60 years. So climate change is becoming more of a main issue, uh, not only for Democrats, but also conservatives and Republicans. And um, 
I think that healthcare has really gone up there as well, where people are suffering with high healthcare costs, rural hospitals are closing, uh, people are just not having access to those resources. And so that's another reason why Republicans are thinking, well, hey, maybe we should listen to what Democrats are proposing because this can really help us. Um, and of course, you know, with coronavirus hitting, it's showing how easy it is for somebody who's in the middle class uh, to fall into poverty. So those those are a couple of the issues. But I feel like somebody who, like me, is a Democrat and who was born and raised here has a vested interest uh, to represent the people of both sides. You know, I am a Democrat and I want to listen to the Democratic side, but we can't just ignore the other side that is, you know, conservative or a very staunch Trump supporters. We have to hear their concerns as well because President Trump got elected uh, for a reason. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were not being heard and they felt like he was the person who was going to help them get their voice heard. But now a lot of them are getting discouraged because they're thinking, man, we're in a, a chaotic economy now and the virus has hit and this president has has a huge lack of leadership, uh, especially on the national level, that they're considering voting for the other uh, party, which is the Democrats. I think that kind of one of the things that is going to be kind of like the crux of the issue in general in a, a, a district like ours, you know, like or like the one I used to live in. It's always your home, is, Darwin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got this uh, like like I, I, what is give me your crash course on like how you view the Constitution and things that are, I think, often friction points like. The Second Amendment, the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly is also. Do you have anything else you want to head in? Is there, is there another broad set of? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, like uh, but but I mean, I I think that that is. Fair. Uh, I mean, the cleanest direction to say, if a if a Republican doesn't like Trump in Amarillo, but is still not necessarily sure they want to vote for a Democrat, I think it's going to at some point kind of involve one of these issues. So what would you, what is your general take on the way we interface with those rights that I just laid out? Freedom mm -hmm. of like, like second amendment, first amendment, fourth amendment, you know, like the, 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 the general way we're interfacing with authority these days. Yeah. I know that the, with the constitution, I'm a firm believer in, you know, the freedom of the press and um, religion, free speech, uh, and even the Second Amendment. And I know that, uh, you know, many Democrats are, uh, they want, you know, we want some kind of gun control. But at the same time, when you're in Texas and you're a Democrat, like my beliefs are that we want to have that uh, Second Amendment protected. But it needs to be where there are, there's current laws in place that are not really being enforced all that much. And that's why we're having, uh, or in the past, we've had mass shootings and people, guns getting into the people that are not meant to have them who are, you know, mentally unstable or have records and such. So I think that as a Democrat running in this area, I am for the Second Amendment, but I, along with many gun owners who believe in, uh, we believe in having uh, efficient, uh, you know, background checks and a system in place where bad people who have bad intentions uh, will not end up uh, receiving or uh, getting access to a gun. Um, because I think that gun owners are, they're furious too. When they see something in the news where somebody has gone on a rampage and shot a lot of people, that's when everybody gets all upset and they want to have gun regulation, which, I mean, there needs to be some kind of gun regulation, but it needs to 
be in a way where you still don't violate people's Second Amendment rights to guns. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that we want more stronger background checks that are enforced and uh, where people can still own guns and just be in a responsible manner so that they don't end up in the wrong hands of, of criminals or people who are mentally unstable. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Matt, why did you why did you jump on this campaign? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I've known Gus for a while, um, and we we started. Uh, he he called me and he was like, "Oh, can you go, let's go have dinner or drinks." We went to I can't remember what restaurant it was. It was, or, 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 it was a Mexican food restaurant, I think. But yeah, there's one I haven't been back to, and I can't. Whatever. Not the point <laughs> of this, but that was like <laughs> two years ago. And Greg Sagan, our now, our current opponent, former opponent, current opponent again, we will get into that, Joy, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> was trying to hire Gus here. And I was like, you shouldn't do this. Because Greg yeah. didn't work hard enough last time, isn't working hard enough this time, dropped out, is accused of most. Like, look, down the road, we will get into that. Um, <laughs> however, I was just starting to talk about, but I was like, but I started talking to Gus, like, you need to start thinking about whether this is something you want to do or how you want to build. Because I've always, I mean, look, Gus interned for Thornberry in D.C., right? He's a, he's an institutionalist by my understanding. Like, honestly, that's what I found out myself. Like, I'm a Democrat as well, but I think institutions have to work. And I don't think you yeah. could, you'd believe differently if you weren't someone who, if, I mean, if you interned for, uh, for a Republican as a Democrat, you're, you're, you have to believe in the bigger picture because, because I think you found that other Democrats weren't as warm to you after that, were they, at times, when you got back up there to try to have a – just to stay in the political side of your career? Like, did yeah. you find that to be true? Yeah, um, and, you I, know, I did. It's like they, they're suspicious. You know, we'll talk about that in a second. I want to come back to that. Okay. Um, but, but, but that meant something to me, and I had a lot of Republican friends when I was up there. Um, and so – we had a lot of discussion of, you know, you've got to think about whether you want to do this, what it would take, and if you really wanted to, and not pressure, but just to think to realistically about it. Um, and he was working for the Spanish Chamber at the time. And then eventually, I think it was in about late September, early October, he you know, we had a couple of discussions before that, and yeah. he goes, I'm in, I want to do this. And we began to go, and it's been confirmed why... I ran his campaign, or, or, I, or I wanted got on board with this from the beginning. You know, have we run the perfect campaign? Absolutely not. Are we running out every? Is everything going? Like we're Democrats in West Texas. This is scrappy insurgency at its best day, <laughs> right? At its best day. But I hate a lot of politics now, and I'm deeply trained in it. But Gus, the things I loved about Gus were all the things I didn't like about other politicians. A lot of times. The things that Gus is improving on, working on, working for, going for, are things I wasn't finding in other politicians when I was in D.C. Um, anymore. Maybe it's because they got there at that point. Um, maybe it's because they never were that person. Who knows? Um, but as someone who had been fully jaded by the process of being a political professional, Gus was refreshing. And I'll, and I'll tell a story um, I don't know if I told, I can't remember if I told the podcast, I told someone recently, you definitely cut this, so I told this in the last podcast, but I don't think I did. <laughs> um, Gus, we had a fundraiser at the house for Gus. Uh, you know, first fundraiser introducing people, and uh, 
look, I'm, I'm running around trying to get everything put together for this thing. I'm doing the campaign manager role, which is not typically my role. I'm more of a consultant, more of a speech, you know, more I help guys like Gus get prepared for speeches. And Gus is a good natural speaker, um, but I hadn't really gotten him prepared. And he gives his speech up there to everyone. And I find really good moments in it, but it's a little long. And he's not as prepared as I want him to be, but it's still a good speech. My wife talks to me about it, and then I eventually talk to Gus about it, and I see him improve and improve. And I watch him give his opening remarks at, you know, in January when we actually kick it off even bigger publicly. And I watch how he's handled public forums and talking to constituents, and it's just confirmed it, that he's the kind of guy who is the person I want to be a politician, right? Politician should not be a four-letter word because it's not a four-letter word, right? And... It should be something, a profession or a calling, at least for a moment, that we value because it serves something broader. It serves us all. He's running to represent us. And I needed to find someone for me who I could trust to do that because I live here. And Gus was that guy. And Gus made himself that guy. Matt, you, you remind me, what's the, like, the a knight's tale where you've got, like, the guy giving, like, the epic speeches? Chaucer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remind you of Jeffrey Chaucer. <laughs> I mean, as depicted by Paul Bettany in the Knight's Tale. <laughs> All right. Again, let's get back to my candidate because he can he can tell us stuff better than me. Uh, he's the one. It, yeah, I mean, like, okay. Gus, what, what is like? What is your background? I, I don't I don't know much of anything about you. Uh, well, yeah, like I said, I'm uh, born and raised in Amarillo, so I went to uh, all public schools here, and then I went to uh, Emerald College, the community college, then I went to uh, West Texas A&M University, and when I was there, my last semester is when I decided to intern for Congressman Thornberry uh, in 2013, and so when I went up there, I was up there, uh, I interned for about uh, six months, and um, uh, it was a really great experience, got a lot of really great networking out of it and just learned a ton up there. And I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to move up here and see what else I can do. So once the internship was done, I came back, graduated from WT. Then I moved back to DC. And uh, the second go around of trying to get a job up there was interesting because I I think the I knew the reason why, but I went to uh, apply for jobs in uh, Democratic congressman's office uh, or senator's office and either didn't get many callbacks or only had a few interviews. And I can just tell that one, the main reason probably that they did not want to hire me was because they saw that I was a Democrat who worked in the Republican office. And they were, you know, it's uneasy for them to think, well, he's going to come work for us. What is his intentions or something? So uh, I. Yeah. Well, wh why? Why did you do that? Well, uh, a lot of people have asked me that. It's like, why did I intern for Congressman Thornberry when I could have, you know, maybe interned for somebody else? And the reality is, is that at West Texas A&M University, they only have that one internship for the local congressman, for Congressman Thornberry. So there's two reasons for that, uh, was that I wanted to intern for a congressman who represented our area so that I knew more about our area and want to make a difference in it. And uh, the other reason is you don't have a choice to go to a, another representative. I mean, even if you did, it'd be outside of the school to do that, um, and uh, it would be a different one. So if I were to go to somebody, let's say in California, they wouldn't really, I wouldn't really identify too much with them because they're not uh, in our state, in our district. So I thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and do Thornberries, and they knew I was a Democrat before I went up there. 
Um, but uh, hey, Gus, it was a good internship. I got to yeah. get in on this moment because I got to find you're You're being so nice to this totally screwed up system. Look, <laughs> you didn't have enough money to go work for free yeah. for any other random person in the country. The dirty little secret about internships that aren't like Gus's, which require people to apply and have stakes and get paid because most of them are just working for free up there. Like Gus's internship got paid. The, the number that got paid on that on the hill are so far. At the, it, yeah. at the time, were really, really limited. They've gotten better now because of shaming um, to some yeah. degree. Um, but I could have gone up there when I was in graduate school and found an internship, right? And built my way that way. But that's a privileged background. That's a lucky position to be in, right? Like, unless you have the money to do it, like that's why so many interns come from privileged backgrounds. Unless they get an opportunity like what West Texas A&M offers, they're just not going to do it. And like, I'm going to guess, Gus, that the thought of going and straight up interning again for a Democrat when you didn't have any money when you moved back was not a possibility you could deal with. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely true. And I, it, you know, I always felt bad for the ones that would work for free because you can tell, like, I was really lucky in that going up there with uh, the scholarship at that time, I think it's changed since then, is they gave me and uh, luckily one of my friends who we both got selected to go up there. So our, our um, we were very friendly on the job and it was really good experience. Uh, we each got $10,000 at that time. And now I've heard it's gone down, but immediately half of that goes to your housing and the rest of it, you'd be surprised how much you would burn in two months uh, because it's Darwin one thing is be. he's in LA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I've been in DC before as well. I, I get yeah, it. <laughs> it's it's super expensive and well, okay. So so you did this internship, uh, but 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 I guess my curiosity is like, what's your honest read on DC politics right now? It's nationalized, yeah. you know. Like I think a lot of people would expect you to just go in and be a rubber stamp for Nancy Pelosi. Tell me why that wouldn't be the case, or maybe why that would be the right choice. Um, I think that, you know, with my campaign, I, when I was running at the beginning, I even know, know, and, um, had a, uh, little meetings with Matt and some other supporters of how, when I was running for the primary, that I have to be careful and that not trying to look like I'm a Republican, I guess you can say, or trying to lean to the right. Uh, I need to be more uh, on the left. And I understand that, you know, I understand there's the, the very staunch Bernie supporters, the AOC supporters and all that. But I feel like some of the issues they have are uh, – they're great issues, and um, I believe in many of them. But at the same time, I'm more of a conservative Democrat, I guess you can say, a Texan Democrat. So if somebody is really debating on – okay. How, how so? Well, it's like you know, universal health care, for example, is something that I know Bernie really brought to the forefront of having everybody get free health care. And even though that is something that would be great to have, I've – feel like it should be more just affordable in general, but not necessarily completely free, because I think that people need some kind of, uh, I guess you can say a skin in the game type thing where, let's say if you're given uh, free health care and you end up going to uh, the doctor and everything, but uh, you are going to just not take care of your health because you feel like, well, I have health care anyway, I'll just get fixed or get medicine or something. Um, I feel like it needs to be more affordable or a choice where you can either get you know, some kind of universal health care or just kind of have an affordable option. But as far as like giving it away completely free now, unless you're just really in poverty and you're having a hard time getting on your feet. Yes, I can see that as a possibility, but just to all across the board doing that, 
I don't think is is the right way to do it because my biggest thing is how do we sustain how do we keep that going for a long time without raising taxes and I don't want to raise taxes and um I mean you have a budget that if you dedicate it all to healthcare then how are you going to dedicate uh stuff to infrastructure or uh, uh agriculture or different things so I, I want it to be more of a balanced budget, but not necessarily like, okay, free this, free that, free this. Um, you know, there's some things that can be completely free, but uh, as far as like healthcare, I think it just needs to be more affordable um, and accessible, definitely. But um, what about uh, community college? What do you what do you think about community college and the federal government's role therein? I think that one is good. So I do agree with that. Where you know you can get two years of community college uh, for free. That would be really beneficial and that, you know, and that's somebody that's coming from somebody that has went to uh, Amarillo College, which is a really good community college uh, here in Amarillo. And if I would have had that assistance, that would have definitely helped. Luckily, I had the Pell Grant to cover my community college and I had some extra money to to actually um, have food and everything. But even today, uh, I know Amarillo College got uh, famous for it where they had a program that would help homeless and really uh, uh people that were students that were in poverty get through college by paying their bills or paying their car payments because unfortunately all around the country there are people that go to community college and they're I mean I remember seeing two or three homeless students and I always felt so bad for them because I luckily had scholarships to pay for my stuff but a lot of people don't get scholarships to any getting kind of assistance so uh having community college provided for free even if it's just those first two years that is very great and beneficial not only to our community colleges but for our workforce for the future who's your favorite president <laughs> uh in the past it was uh uh you know let's say either bill clinton or if i really want to go back in time like thomas uh, jefferson just because i like that he was a founding father and was very knowledgeable but uh when barack obama came onto the scene in 2008 that was a huge turning point in that i really solidified my yearning to want to run for public office. I really saw this this young guy at the time who was inspirational, very intelligent. His family was a beautiful family. And then now I think it's confirmed that, you know, everybody sees how great we had all those eight years of the Obama administration that now we're yearning for something like that again, because we have such a lack of leadership at the national level with the Trump administration and just just a way of being more uh i mean there's just no elegance there's no there's no uh properness i mean i don't know there's so many words that trump's administration has kind of in my opinion ruined what we think of in national politics that it can be something great somebody to look up to but when president uh, obama came in office he inspired so many people to run for office and he was a very great and intelligent guy so i mean i would to answer your question i would say my favorite president of all time is going to be President Obama, and I don't see that changing even in the foreseeable future unless we get somebody who is very, you know, much like him, which I think everybody wants Michelle Obama to run, and that'd be great. So, I mean, if she did run in the future, I'll probably, you know, change it to that. I don't know. But uh, I, I think that just his his elegance, his wisdom, knowledge, everything about him was was fantastic. And, you know, the area I'm running in is all anti-Obama, mostly anti-Obama. They're very conservative and everything. And I always uh, didn't like that when I was in college because I was, you know, ridiculed and, and teased about supporting Obama. And even one of my car magnets on my car was stolen off, you know, campus. And I thought, man, this is just crazy. I mean, this guy is a great, great person. So um, anyway, I can, you know, go on and on about that. But my favorite president is President Obama. 
Well, sure. And, and I think that um, I would be interested to know, like, what do you think was behind the forces that led to the, the rise of an election of Donald Trump? You know, I think that's a question we all kind of have our own takes on. Like, why do you think, Amer- like, America, you know, but, but let's say Amarillo voted for yeah, real estate, con artist, clear New York City liar, <laughs> New York City, rich guy, Donald not Trump. That rich. Why do you think, yeah, sure, yeah, like, like, faux rich. Okay, why do you, Gus, why do you think that that, like, what's your take on, like, the Trump phenomenon? I think there, I guess there's two main parts to that. I would say that uh, one of them is going to be when the rural community really was irritated how their, uh, they weren't being heard, they were being ignored, you know, their jobs were going overseas, they were getting into poverty or drugs or anything. And I think that when Donald Trump came into the picture and he was this guy that just said anything that was on his mind and he's very plain spoken. You know, we, we go from President Obama, who you who use very elegant, uh, high end words, I guess you can say, to President Trump, who is very, very basic and just, uh, you know, just calls everything great or whatever, whatever basic words he uses. I think that they <laughs> saw that <laughs> I, I think that they saw how this president, uh, presidential candidate comes in and is just blurting his mouth out, saying things as they are. They like that. They probably think, hey, this is a guy who's honest or something, which I think is ridiculous. But uh, they thought this guy can actually relate to us. He is, you know, kind of this foul mouth guy who is just saying whatever's on his mind. And at the same time, he's talking to our ears, you know, music to our ears, saying that, uh, you know, he's going to stand up for us. And unfortunately, another part of that is there's a little bit of uh, some prejudice in there, some racism that we're starting to really see now that he tapped into these divisions that have always been in America. You know, America was founded with, you know, slavery and and, uh, uh, there's still areas of racism that are uh, hopefully going to go away, but they're still there. And I think that Donald Trump saw this as an opportunity to really say, you know, you know, who you need a president that's going to stand up for your rights. And he says it in a certain way that's going to encourage white supremacy and even getting endorsements from white supremacists and everything. And yet he claims to not be a racist. But yet even today, a lot of his problems, he still wants to play the victim and blames President Obama when Obama's been out of office for nearly three and a half years already. So I I find that ridiculous as well. But I think that the main reasons are because the rural communities felt like they weren't being heard. Uh, They felt like the Democratic Party was leaving them or even certain Republicans were leaving them behind. Um, Trump comes in just saying whatever's on his mind, and people love that for some reason. Uh, and then, um, uh, well, I guess those are the two main things. But um, unfortunately, racism is part of that as well, and I think we're seeing that every day. I came to First Class Reels. I was trying to find someone to do my reel for me. The reason I wanted to get my reel done was because every like agent I'd run into or manager would be like, so can I see some of your work? And I'd be like, I don't have a reel. When we were done and I sent it out to people I've been networking with and I got an agent out of it. And right now I'm talking to a manager after they've seen my reel. So it really was bang for my buck. Like I got exactly what I wanted. So first class reels, do it. You will not regret it. Trust me. How do you think there, what would you say is the way to be a leader in the topic of race? Obviously, it's impossible to avoid that topic in the aftermath of the past couple of news stories yeah. from the Central Park 
encounter to the murder of George Floyd. Uh, you know, there's a uh, clear, no matter what happens, that's going to be a topic of immense, you know, like focus over the next several years. Like, how does that fit into your vision of yourself as like a representative of Amarillo, Texas? You know, like uh, there's this is going to be a fraught topic for many. Uh, you know, like for for the foreseeable future. Like, how does a politician fit in to that framework to you? Well, I think that what makes a big difference is that uh, we have a president. You know, President Trump really taps into these divisions that are already there, as I mentioned. And I think that when we get new congressmen, new senators, and a new president, that that a uh, person needs to be a unifying voice somebody that, somebody that does not sow division or uh just strictly adheres to party lines like there has to be some kind of uh, a collaboration and and working together to get things done because ultimately people want Washington to work for them and have they want Washington to be a true representation of them and get things done so i think that as people run for office like somebody like me who you know is a is a hispanic and is uh, running for office. I mean, there's been times in the past where I've gotten, uh, uh, I guess, in certain situations where you can experience racism, either if it's a dirty look or something said to you or whatever. And then now uh, we're getting that with uh, wearing masks, um, which is, is interesting. It's becoming identity politics with masks. But oh, um, Matt, yeah. Question. I'm going to cut my own candidate off. Y'all can all yell at me on Twitter <laughs> if anyone actually does. Um <laughs> So two things. I want you to discuss how the coronavirus is, is affecting the Hispanic community in Amarillo specifically at some point, because I think that's very much happening in, yeah. our, in our meatpacking industry and, and like and just in, in this parts of town. That, and, and also just the people who have to work essential jobs that couldn't take off are mm -hmm. disproportionately in minority communities. And then I'd like you to take on a, I think you're, you don't have to do it for the Hispanic chamber because you're not there anymore, but Jesse Quackenbush and the big beaner. Mm -hmm controversy yeah. <laughs> today if you'd like to take a, a whack at that one yeah you know either one either <laughs> one you can uh you can have that man yeah i know um i i saw that i saw the uh that the so-called big beaner mexican restaurant and uh you know for, first i want to mention that is is that I don't I no longer work for the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. I actually quit that job uh, to run full time for Congress back in uh, uh, February. So uh, I cannot say that I will speak on their behalf. But uh, oh, my no, own, yeah, my my own personal opinions on it are that uh, uh, first thing is that with the attorney Quackenbush who owns that building is now playing victim to all this uh, rise against his new restaurant. When I don't understand that uh, that stance, when it's obvious that this name is offensive, and I, I don't I don't even know who, what marketing company or whoever uh, really put this forward, because yeah. my I don't know I, I guess my my guess is that he wanted attention. He's getting the attention now. Who knows if the clients he's wanting to attract are unfortunately going to be racist clients or people that just think it's funny. Um, I don't know what his motives are, but. To see a business like that open, especially right here in Amarillo, is it's it's horrible. I mean, you're not going to have a, a restaurant that's uh, has the N word on it for uh, black people. You're not going to have a restaurant that yeah, has another. You can tell he's yelling about PC culture. Beaner was offensive like years, yeah. years, and years ago. That that has been offensive 
far before we were ever worried about social justice warriors or snowflakes or anybody. That has been an offensive term for my whole life, pretty much. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, am I wrong, Darwin? You just come back into this? I did just come back into this. And to be honest, I uh, just learned the term really? uh, today or yesterday. Uh, you know, w- one of the benefits of being white, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, it seems pretty ridiculous. Um, I don't have a lot of starting respect for Jesse Quackenbush in the first place. So it's hard to uh, feel anything other than, you know, <laughs> eye roll. <at> yeah. This. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more of a publicity stunt, really. And, and I guess it's working, but um, it, it's yep. horrible. Thanks. Yes. Jesse, pay us for the ad, okay? <laughs> we gave out free advertising. Now let's talk about serious subjects. Talk about what's happening, what you've seen uh, in, in the community from, since COVID's come here in Amarillo, and we're a hotspot. Talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about the Hispanic community with this virus that has definitely been a community that has been impacted the most. And I mean, it might even be safe to say it's where we've been impacted here worse than the whole state. And I think that the most that are impacted are Hispanics. And a lot of that is because a lot of them are essential workers and they either don't get PPE or they don't get educated on how to really prevent themselves from getting the virus or they're just uh, put in situations where they're constantly exposed to it. And, you know, yesterday our uh, governor of Texas came to uh, have a news conference with uh, Mayor Ginger Nelson. And even seeing that video, I noticed that everybody in the room, we had our, our state representatives there, uh, four of them, and then we had uh, the governor. None of them were wearing masks, and uh, that yet they were very close to each other. The only one that was wearing a mask was our Mayor Ginger Nelson, and I understand that as well that uh, she's wearing a mask because she is actually going through chemotherapy and going through a rare form of cancer. So she's highly vulnerable. But I thought, man, they should really all be unified and wear a mask with her as well. So that kind of tells you that up here, nobody really wants to follow the rules. That's even like that today where you pass by restaurants. We have a ton of restaurants. I think it's the most restaurants per capita in Amarillo uh, compared to the nation. And people are just going out like it's normal. They're sitting together. I mean, the restaurants are trying to enforce things. Uh, but it's really tough when you have a, a people that are pushing back and just being vulgar and rude about wearing masks. But our meatpacking plants here, we have a bunch of them around us. I think that we uh, serve about 24, 25% of the uh, national meat supply. So uh, Tyson uh, Foods was the one that had the most cases. And a lot of those people, they were coming out and they were you know, telling reporters, it's like, well, the reason that it spread so much is that we were just forced to basically work and we got very little PPE uh, equipment or uh, we were just, I mean, we're essential workers. So they had to keep it open because it's an essential piece of the economy with uh, meat. But uh, now I think that they're barely instituting policies that are going to prevent the virus from spreading, but that should have been done a long time ago. And the only reason it's being done now is because the governor started to send his uh, strike team to come up here and test. And who, you know, who'd have known that we had a lot of cases, but it's because they barely started testing, which is another problem. So Potter County is mainly, uh, there's a lot of Hispanics, a lot of black people that live here, and uh, they have gotten the brunt of this virus because they are working in jobs where it's not taking, taken seriously, where they are forced to wear masks or uh, just wash their hands or anything. So they're in positions where they're constantly exposed to this virus, and it's unfortunate. So uh, I think that the Hispanic community has really been affected 
quite a bit and uh, the black community as well, more than anybody up here. By the way, can we include the immigrant community as well, the refugee oh, yeah. community as should we, can we, can we include the, I mean, the way we yeah. should not ever leave them out. Um, yeah. Cause they have gotten hit in this um, for all the same reasons. Yeah. Obviously a lot of the workers are from oh, Somalia, yeah. Burma, Vietnam. We have a lot of different, you know, refugee population in Amarillo. Um, you know, so so I just had a more overarching question because obviously I, we, I could get drawn into the debate that Matt and I had last episode about because I'm vegan. And so I have a lot of thoughts about factory farming and the way that it itself is contributing to this crisis. And I think that this is, you know, exhibit a very powerful exhibit of, you know, just generally something we're turning a blind eye mm. to. But I think I, obviously it's a it's a core. It's a crux of. The economy of Amarillo at this moment, and I, I guess my question to you is is just more of a forward facing one. Like, what's your vision for the Amarillo of tomorrow? You know, like if you have the opportunity to go in there and fight for Amarillo to have a different kind of economy mm -hmm. that it rests upon, rather than these exploitative, you know, like institutions, do you see a path there? Yeah, I think when I, you know, when I start first running for this uh, uh, position, I really want to make a big difference, not only for Amarillo, but for Wichita Falls and all these small areas, because I feel like there is a opportunity where, you know, so many people are moving to Texas because it's it's affordable to live here. We don't have a state income tax. The, the job market is pretty good. And uh, Amarillo is actually getting some of the some of the people from California or New York or wherever they go to Austin or Dallas or Houston. They're finding out, oh, dang, it's pretty expensive to live here. Uh, and that's why we left those states so we can come to a better one. And so some of them end up coming up here to live in Amarillo. I, I remember a couple months ago just constantly seeing California license plates, and these are people that live here now. And I think it's because we get that spillover from those major cities. So when they come here, a lot of them, they have money to spend. They spend it in uh, you know, buying a lot of real estate. I noticed that. Uh, so they can have an income coming in. And um, I think about how the future of Amarillo, the future of Wichita Falls and all these small towns is we can bring manufacturing back. And I know that the big talk about manufacturing is like pharmaceuticals to come into this area or just uh, having a better infrastructure, maybe even like something I've always wanted to see happen here is just having some kind of high speed rail. I mean, Texas will probably be the first one that gets the finished high speed rail done. And it'd be great if it was in our area where a, you know, we are mostly rural and it takes a long time to drive to all these small towns and uh, between cities. I mean, we're six and a half hours away from Dallas. So if we were to be the first ones to get high speed rail, especially since we have I-40 coming through Amarillo, maybe we can have high speed rail go all the way down to Dallas or something. That would be a great economic boost for this area. And uh, one thing I also ran for uh, is having opportunities for young people with a new economy that is going to uh, allow them to have great opportunities so that they don't move on to Austin or Dallas because there's so many people here that uh, a lot of my friends, basically a majority of them, have moved on to bigger cities because they see better uh, opportunities there. So I think that Emerald College, West Texas A&M or whatever other uh, universities and colleges we have, they are tired of training the workforces of Dallas and Austin and everything. They want to have these students stay here and actually uh, reinvest in their communities. So, I mean, I'd like to bring some kind of high tech uh, uh, jobs here, manufacturing here. I mean, you know, we 
the other day I remember seeing the news about uh, Elon Musk is is you know they're considering to have Tesla either uh, their new car manufacturing facility in either Austin or Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I thought, man, we're right in between those two places. I mean, we would be a great op- opportunity to have it here because I-40 is right there and Tesla already has a bunch of charging stations in our area. So it's it's a matter of running for this office to try and bring better opportunities, not only for young people, but also for our older population who don't even have uh, training in using technology, uh, a lot of them are scared to use computers, and we have to bring some kind of opportunity here so that they can actually be part of the workforce too, because we're not going to have enough jobs in, like, let's say, fast food or in uh, other jobs where it's uh, brown-collar or blue-collar jobs that older people can fill because a lot of them require technological uh, knowledge. And, you know, coming back to community colleges, having that first two years paid for that's a great opportunity to have our elderly population also trained for these new job opportunities. So I think that in order for Amarillo and Wichita Falls um, and all the surrounding area to really grow, we can bring more opportunities, more jobs up here, especially since we have the space and we have the workforce. It's just I feel like so many people go to university and go to community college and then they find that they're working at a restaurant and not utilizing their degrees and they run into a dead end. So there's opportunity there to bring manufacturing, especially to Amarillo and Wichita Falls, and just try and make it a better area. Let me ask you, um, Amarillo's got a lot of great, and, and Wichita Falls, like, like generally, like the, the Texas Panhandle, I love the people there. I, I, I think Amarillo gets such a bad rap in terms of so many aspects of the culture and and what it represents to me to like to, to the United States um but one of the things that i feel like a lot of the young people you know that are our age that have in common is we all to some degree smoke weed and amarillo is not exactly LA. the prime location yet yeah, to to do that. And I, I think that has a pretty big impact on whether or not you get young people moving to their, into your area. Like I think I, it's so funny to me, all these like old 80 year old dudes talking about like, well, what can we do to get young people moving here? <laughs> and by the way, you'll still get hauled to jail, especially if you're black or Brown. Yeah. You know, just for having a joint, you know, like, or heaven forbid, you're, you're selling weed to somebody, you know, like, oh my God, the horror of that, you know, your, your district is still, is still like prohibition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like what, like, what's your thoughts about that? Well, I think that after seeing the state of Denver and other states really take on, uh, having, legal marijuana and they're making all this money off of it texas you know started to see that and they you know they've allowed uh, the use of hemp now and they had not done that for a long time i think that it's only a matter of time before the whole state of texas does the same thing with the rest of the country where they consider legalizing marijuana because it's such a lucrative industry and i mean it's being done here all the time but it's just illegal like you mentioned and uh you know it, it Having young people consider our area to live in, not only do they need better opportunities, but like you said, there's some policies that they don't like, which is one of them is not being able to uh, smoke 
legally and uh, uh, some other things of like, you know, in, in my own personal opinion, the city of Amarillo that I've lived here for so long, you know, they've always touted how the budget has been pretty good, even during the 2008 financial crisis. And uh, I remember going to uh, this class, it was called Amarillo 101, where we learned about our city and they talked to us about the budget. They talked to us about a bunch of different things. And they were really touting how our city really uh, was able to avoid a lot of the financial downfalls of the 2008 financial crisis. And today, you know, our budget is doing so great. I'm not sure how it is now with the virus. But in back of my mind, I thought, well, that's great and all, but what do we have to show for it? Because all of our young people may basically have moved on. The ones that have all this knowledge and expertise, they moved to Austin or Dallas or wherever, and we don't have many here. And I know I have a lot of friends who are in startups and uh, businesses that they yearn for an Austin-like atmosphere because there's so much talent here, but we don't have, uh, I guess you can say, a liberal stance on many issues like Austin does. Because Austin is the most liberal of the whole state, and then now other areas like Dallas and such are going to – they're becoming more liberal. And I think that the city leaders here and uh, and maybe even in Wichita Falls where it's a little bit more liberal as well – I think they're going to have to start leaning towards more liberal policies to attract young people, even though they're hesitant to do that. And, and, you know, like you said, this older generation wants to keep things the same. They have to consider the health and future of the city, uh, multiple cities. What, you know, and consider what are we going to do to attract young people? And it may be trying to change policies that are there that don't encourage them to live here and enjoy this area. Yeah. And by the way, I would cool. back as a as a person who was here as well. Every time our city does something "quote unquote" liberal, they get yelled at by this yep. freaking group of yahoos and crazies. Like, look, like, and, and luckily, I actually think what's happening a little bit, and this is I've seen it online, and the mask issue is what's doing it to some people. Like, yeah, seventy percent of the country is pro wearing masks. It's just considerate. It may not, and I don't want to, you don't wear it all the time. We're indoors when you're around other people. Some people are immunocompromised. Keep your mask clean for your own safety. And like, but like, but, but either way, like it's becoming a bigger issue. Some Republicans are for it. Some are not. And like, it's a circular firing squad even there. And there's more issues like that. But what, what if you're like me who wear like half the time I'm pro wearing mask and half the time I'm anti. Well, that's why it's good. Mask. You're not like, in charge, man. That's why it's like really good that like neither, like, like, you know, like we are all making our best guess, right? Are the experts totally right here? Absolutely not. Do any one of us have enough knowledge to really give you a better answer? No, 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 no. no. And like, I think it's the truth we all have. To it's just in. that it's sitting in uncertainty that is, I think, kind of like what makes it like, yeah. And I'm glad I'm not a politician because you have to pretend like you know what you're talking about when you're a politician. I don't have to pretend that because I'm not a politician. And I can change my mind constantly. And I, I think the mask issue is probably the issue in which I'm the most comfortable saying I'm militantly one way about it, you know, one day and the opposite the next day. You know, like it's weird to me. I don't like personally wearing a mask. I don't like seeing people wear masks. I don't like it. I understand that it's prudent. I understand that it saves lives. Maybe I'm also an anti-authoritarian. So I kind of rebel against it. I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about. But, okay, but what, what about the long history of like the government not allowing you to wear a mask and not wanting you to wear a mask? And when Antifa was wearing masks, you're like those godless liberal anti-Christ hippies, Darwin. And I think that's something like you said earlier. Um, 
Kidding, paraphrasing. <laughs> uh, but like, this mask issue has morphed, right? Because the people who were wearing masks before were like looters and Antifa, like extra black block protesters sort of people. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a different crowd. <laughs> like how fa- how long did it take the average cashier to go from, oh God, I'm being robbed to like, oh, it's just a mask to how long did it take them once they weren't actually being robbed again? Like, has someone walked in in a mask and actually robbed someone? Is it, you know, I'm just all like, of it. It's just hard. It's just hard. It's hard on all of us. And it is um, disproportionately affecting all of us, for sure, yeah. in ways that break down around along race and class and, you know, like all of those things. But it is still just... Question. It's hard to wear masks. Question for Gus, because I'm just going to wade into this issue. Um, <laughs> and maybe this is a good thing a campaign manager should even ask you about this. But as the only person of color on this call, as we'll put it since we're the Democrat primary and all that jazz, <laughs> I want you to address Biden's comments on Charlemagne the God. Like, where does that come from? How do you see it? Um, you know, what what do you think about that? Like, I, know I have my thoughts, but I kind of want to hear yours. So this one's the one where he was on the morning show talking about the, the black yeah, comment, right? You're not black enough. If, yeah, he's like, yeah. If, you're not, if you're voting for Trump, not me, you're not black enough. And he went on this whole other <laughs> thing, you know, and it was clearly like, oh, dear God, Michael <laughs> Scott, what did you say? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, so, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, you know, he regretted it, saying that and then uh, later apologized. And I thought that that was a proper way to do it, because, I mean, that is kind of saying that. He's taking the black vote for granted by just saying something like that. But I mean, especially as a you know a Hispanic or black person will not see a, a white person and think, OK, it's OK if they say something like that. I'm OK with that. It's never going to be like that. I mean, you're not going to be in the position to experience their lives to say that. But uh, when I heard about that, I just thought, man, this is one of those blunders where, you know, in the past, uh, Joe Biden has always kind of said what is on his mind. And but it's funny, though, when he does that, because Trump says Every day, pretty much whatever's on his mind, and a lot of people don't criticize him or they do criticize him, and yet they're trying to uh, hold Joe Biden more over the fire than Trump. So I I don't understand that. It's like I think that we are going to have a better option of electing Joe Biden way more than electing Trump again, and it seems like they're holding Biden to standards that we're not even holding President Trump for. So I know it it was racially insensitive for him to say that. Uh, but I don't I'm hoping that it doesn't uh, hurt his campaign that much. Uh, but I think that uh, some people that of color will be pretty irritated about it and may not vote for him or show up. But at the same time, they might think, well, it's you know, it's Joe. He's just saying that. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it was a proper uh, thing to say. I mean, nobody should ever say something like that. Do you want to tell us about anything that we might not be aware of, like. You know, you're you're sitting in West Texas, and I want you, I mean, you're going to have to, these are petitions people are going to vote for you, but what are the, I mean, I don't even want to call microaggressions because we're going to trigger so many people. <laughs> what are the unintended microaggressions that we maybe say around here that we don't even think about sometimes? Like, you know, our, our, you know, like it's that moment when you realize that Jip, do you say you Jip someone? Oh, that's how gypsies, and you're being racist. You're like, you know, those sorts of things, right? You don't even realize you, the terminology of vernacular, it, like we have these terms and they're like, oh, that's not acceptable. Like, are there, are there ones now you see that you're like, I don't think people realize that, you know, that, that, are, that are said commonly. Gosh, I can't think of any on the top of my head. I mean, luck, luckily here in Texas, it's more, everybody is more nice to each other. They say hello to each other and they have that Southern hospitality. 
but at the same time, you know, they can uh, be passive aggressive in things. Uh, lately, luckily, I have not had any racial encounters or any kind of terms or, or uh, something that somebody has said to me. But you do get these looks with a mask. Uh, you can tell that they are, you know, they're not wearing a mask. It's obvious that they uh, are probably somebody who is is just believing with Trump that masks are not necessary or something. And they look at somebody who's wearing a mask and they think to themselves, oh, that's a Democrat or that's a, a liberal or a progressive. And I'm not wearing a mask because I'm conservative or something. So I haven't really had any, especially since I haven't been out lately, um, interactions like that where there's something said where it can be racist. But I imagine that will come at some point. I think it's more of like a matter of getting stared at when you're wearing a mask and nobody else around you is wearing a mask. Uh, if that makes sense. I mean, it's, I, we don't experience that. I mean, like, I, I experience it just, I mean, wearing a mask, but you don't, people stand up 6'5". People don't look at let me. Let me ask, question to the both of you. Qu question to the both of you. Like, in, in terms of the Latino community in Amarillo, you know, like, uh, or the immigrant community in general, like, what percentage of them do you think are pro-Trump? I think, well, it was funny because I was having a meeting with this uh, the other day, and that was discussed where how do we tap into the Hispanic community and Latino community to really go out and vote. And I said, well, the hard thing is to get them out, to get out and vote, because a lot of them have uh, maybe relatives or uh, loved ones that are illegal and they're afraid it's going to bring attention to that. So that's one of the main concerns. But also, I think that to get them out and vote, uh, they really take the matter of is this candidate pro-life or pro-choice? Uh, to heart. And I think that even though that is a major issue, there's still much more to a candidate than just one issue. I mean, you have to look at the whole picture. I remember when uh, uh, Hillary Clinton and President Trump were running uh, in the last election, I had to actually explain to a friend who was Hispanic uh, that, hey, you know, I know you're pro-life and, and Hillary is pro-choice. And that's going to be pretty much your, you know, you're not going to vote for her because of that. I had to explain to him that politics and voting for somebody is so much more than that one issue. I know that a lot of people really uh, care about that, which is good. But at the same time, nonsense. Get them here, and we're done. Sorry, that's yeah. that's so dark. <laughs> you can cut that later. I'm, that's why I'm not running for office because I get in trouble. For that basic basic thought, but I'm sorry, but that's the only logic I can see. Is if you're that one issue voter, it's yeah. like on the earth, and then whatever else, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I can't live there. All right. Yeah, but you're right because I that's what irritated me back then was that this person was going to vote for Trump just because of that one issue, and I think that to answer your question about how many Hispanics are, are pro Trump, that one is really a tough one to try and guess because there's some people that are here. That uh, ended up here because their aunts or their their uh, grandparents or ancestors or whoever came illegally, and now they're comfortable in a spot where they're like, okay, let's get the border wall built, or they're uh, like I said, pro life. They're like, oh well, he's pro life, I'm pro life. But at the same time, I in my heart, I don't believe that President Trump is pro life at all. Uh, he has been pro choice his whole life, and then all of a sudden when he was running for president, he's pro life. I highly doubt that that is uh, one of his beliefs. He's only doing it just to get elected. Same thing with religion. A lot of what I don't understand is that, especially in our area, we have a lot of religious people that like to side with Trump because they believe that he brought, you know, prayer in school, which it's not back in school yet. Uh, and then that he, you know, we sh we weren't ashamed to say Merry Christmas anymore. It seems like those are repetitive issues that come around every time there's an election. 
and yet they believe that President Trump is somebody who is very religious and very, you know, goes to church all the time. The guy never goes to church, never see him going to church. Um, and yet... Nonsense. They, golfing is church. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Plus he, I mean, his mouth is just, is ridiculous. And the way he's treated illegal uh, people coming into the country, you know, being in cages and everything... How is that something to identify with if you're a religious institution and you're just saying, oh, that's okay. He can do all those things. We still believe in him because of religion. I think it's a lot of nonsense because the guy is very non-religious. But um, I, my goal is to try and tap into the Hispanic community and the uh, Latino community because they are going to be one of my main voters. And even though I'm Hispanic, I'm not saying that they have to vote for me because they're Hispanic. I'm saying that they have to consider weighing their options of like the candidates. Don't just consider uh, your vote to go to the one that's pro-life and ignore the other one. It's like, hear all the other issues of immigration or healthcare or whatever it is. Because ultimately, when Trump got into office, uh, I feel like we had a lot of uh, things that were enacted by him and members of Congress to walk back so much progress we had with the Hispanic and the black communities and I hope that shows in this next election so that they actually change their minds and say, OK, well, I'm willing to let this one issue go because I want a new candidate to come in and actually work for issues that I care about. Um, and I don't think that President Trump is for black issues, Hispanic issues or anything like that. Um, it's really Joe Biden who wants to make a difference and help our communities, whereas Trump just wants to be rich, just wants to get elected in it for himself. OK, so. Um... Joe Biden has been a Democrat his whole life, right? And Demo Democrats have believed in a social safety net that was that was race neutral, but it ended up helping more black people and more Hispanic people because we had an income system that was not evenly distributed, right? And then Republicans sat there and said, well, you're only using, your help, welfare is just helping black people and yada, 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 you know, like, and then they used it that way. And Joe Biden is coming back now with basically the same policies. And, and I think because he does genuinely believe in race-neutral welfare, right? Race-neutral social safety nets. And I think there are people in our generation who believe that we need to have not race-neutral safety net systems because those got abused and taken away from us. They and I'm, they think they need to have like race-conscious safety nets like that, that take this into account. And I kind of want to find out where you are on this because I, I, I kind of, I'm more with Joe Biden on a, on a practical level because I don't know how to implement the second time, the second thing, but I understand this sentiment. So I, I, this is me asking for the first time where you would be on this sort of thing. So I guess I'm trying to understand the question. You're just saying if somebody is it, is it do we need to design our do we need to design our social safety net to be race neutral or uh, race neutral, but to help every American, essentially, no matter what their race is, or it, when we're building a safety net, do we need to take into account the racial inequalities in the system? Um, you know, because I think there's a debate right now inside as we're rebuilding the system, is there a way to, like, which is fair? Can we just build a straight up universal systems that will, that will actually fix the racial problems over the long term? Potentially, or do we have to go and as we're building these universal systems, fix the race problem inside the universal system? I don't know. That one, it, it, that's really tough to decide how to go about that. But like you said, with Joe Biden's approach of being race neutral, I think is the best option. And I mean, it's 
it's hard because you are going to have, no matter what system you create, it's not going to be a perfect one that some are going to be left out and some are going to be helped more than others. But I mean, we are always going to have that, that kind of racism in the back of the American mind. And the only way to really, I, I don't know, I don't really have solutions for that, but I would say that the only way to really fix that is to try and make a race neutral system that helps everybody. And hopefully over time it corrects itself or we try and really make some kind of policies that are corrected. But as far as treating one race uh, with the priorities over another, I don't think is the best approach. That'll just sow more division. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I, that's, that's really a tough question. Well, then let me ask you an equally <laughs> tough question. Um, what, what have you been uh, – what's your quarantine watch list? What have you been watching? <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm trying to actually read more, and I don't even know how I can get more time to do anything with a campaign trying to run that. But uh, I was – you know, I never finished House of Cards in a while back. I almost finished it, and then I stopped Oh, Jesus. No, 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 no. <laughs> Run! I can't tell. My politician running for office can't miss the House of Cards. When I was in D.C., that was huge. It was advertised everywhere, and it was a pretty great show. But then we all know about uh-huh. you know Kevin Spacey, and it kind of ruined from there. So I kind of lost interest in it. But as far as like movies, I really like watching movies that have um, got critical uh, acclaim, like uh, Oscars and stuff. Um, uh, let me see. Lately... Gosh, as far as like a TV show, I'm not really watching any TV shows. I just watch movies here and there. Um, trying to think of a good one. So what's a movie you've seen recently? Let me see. I actually watched uh, Drive. Was it Drive for the first time with um, oh, crap, oh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan yeah, Gosling. Yeah, it was actually pretty good. It was just interesting. He was very quiet most of the movie, but that was the last movie I saw. Yeah, it was a... <laughs> <laughs> I had complex thoughts about Drive. <laughs> But boy, that Halloween, like you have no idea in LA, like everybody was wearing that jacket. Oh. Like he's got that big emblem on the back of the jacket. It was like the coolest thing in the world to be <laughs> Ryan Gosling. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, well, any parting thoughts, Gus? Well, you know, I, I have to, as somebody who is running for the first time, I have to learn how to ask for money and I have to learn how to ask for votes. And that's something that's really tough to do for me. I don't think anybody likes asking for money, but I hope that the people of District 13 and the people that are out there um, who want to donate and make a change in Texas can uh, come out and, I mean, can donate through uh, Act Blue or, or any of my channels on my Facebook page. But I want to ask for people's support. I hope that they vote for me come November. And and even in the primary that's going to be happening in July, I do need some votes for that. But ultimately, to try and battle a money machine that is the Republican Party in this area, I'm going to need so many donations so that I can actually be on a level playing field, which is unfortunate um, to not have well, How money. did we not talk about Ronnie Jackson, Greg Sagan, or any of this? <laughs> I mean, we left off. I, I got to so go. I, I got to go, I, I, I go I, too. <laughs> We're going to have you back on to talk stuff in yeah, the future. I think we need to. Yeah, Gus, you're welcome back on for sure. Um, but hey, best of luck Thank to you, you, man. Anything to stop Trump is right now. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't know all that much about your background, you know, like absent this podcast. But to my mind, pretty much there is a single choice that we have right now, which is do we want four more years of Trump? Or yeah. not. And to me, you are obviously on the right side on this. So all other issues take a backseat to yeah. that. 
right now. So best of luck. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you all for having me on your show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Yeah. Like us. Thank you for coming like on, my friends. Find us all on Facebook. Share us. Give us reviews. Five stars. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Laugh to Darwinism.